I'd love for you to have 1 John open, if you don't already. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to take some time. I want to read the passage that we're going to be looking at. And you can see the title there before you, the, anti, the Antichrist in the Anointed. Nothing like your first message back after five weeks. And it has the Antichrist in it. It's a great passage. Looking forward to opening it with you and sharing with you today. Let me just read. I want to read these words, um, several verses we're going to look at, and then we'll pray and we'll jump into it. It says this in verse uh, 2 of chapter 18, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such, excuse me, such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you if it does, you also will remain in the Son, in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let me pray and we'll jump into those verses before us. Lord, I'm thankful today for two gifts. There's many gifts we could be thankful for, but I'm, I'm thankful for two in particular today. Lord, I'm thankful for your scripture. I'm thankful for the word of God. I'm thankful for truth, objective truth that we can cling to and build our lives upon and hold on to and learn from. I'm thankful for truth. And Lord, I'm also thankful for the Holy Spirit thankful that your spirit for those of us here today that know you as our Lord and Savior is living in us. And Lord, you're not just in us. Lord, we believe you're here in our midst, in this place. You're not restrained to buildings, but Lord, I've just sensed, and I believe we've sensed your presence, your manifest presence in the midst of this gathering of your people today. So Lord, I am thankful for both these gifts today. And Lord, today as we learn even more about them through your word, would you help us to grow in our understanding of the importance of your word and the spirit. In the midst of so many different beliefs and ideas in our world and our culture. 
Would these be our guides today? The scripture and your spirit be our guide today, our teachers today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you're just jumping into our series, we just started about four or five weeks ago looking, spending our summer in this letter, First uh, John, that is written by the uh, name of it, uh, John. Uh, this is John who was one of the uh, disciples, became the apostles of Jesus. This is one of the disciples who was with Jesus. And John wrote, um, we have the gospel account, the book of John. Then we have these three letters. And then we have Revelation. John, we believe, wrote all of those. And John writes this letter to a group of people who are currently living in what is now Western Turkey, just to, if you're into geography, so you know where these people are located. John writes this letter to people, a group, a, a congregation, a church, probably not set up like we would be set up in any, by today's standards, but it's a church. It's a gathering of God's people there in Western Turkey. And, and John specifically writes to these people because they they are going through some pretty significant, difficult times. A, a, a portion, we don't know exactly how many, but a significant number in their church body, in the fellowship, have left. And they've taken off. And, 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 and it's not, they haven't left because of uh, a, a certain carpet color or the, you know, the music that was being played or the preaching or the, they don't have stuff for the kids. They've left this fellowship because, because of a disagreement over who Jesus is. And that's what John writes to. He writes back to these people, this church that he helped start. He helped get going. And he writes back to them to encourage them, to help them. Because some of them are like, what do we do? How do we navigate this? Some of our friends are saying this about Jesus, but we've been taught this about Jesus. What do we do? And that's what John writes back into to encourage these people. This is a church that's in turmoil. There's division. There's disunity. And, and these people haven't like moved away. Like they're not in the next state. But they're probably in the same town. And they're trying to lead now other people. Say, believe what we believe. You're wrong. Come with us. And John writes back to them. In some ways, this is, it might sound strange, but to me, this is a little encouraging to know. Sometimes when we read about churches that are written to in the New Testament, the number of the letters are written to churches, we, we can idolize these churches and say, oh, they were so good. Only if we could get back to the New Testament. Friends, they were not perfect. <laughs> churches in the New Testament had problems. And many of the letters wrote were written to address those problems. And John is writing to people who are in turmoil, who are just wondering, what do we do? I'm grieving. My friend is that I, that I fellowship with and worship with and pray with, and now is not with us. What do we do? And what I want to say, I think what, you know, again, this letter's penned over 2,000 years ago. It was a letter, as Jim, uh, Pastor Jim said a few weeks ago, the, the chapter uh, uh, numbers and the verses were not in there when it was originally written. Those were added later to help us know where things are in this letter. So when this, this, this original letter written over 2,000 years ago, we might say, well, what in the world can that say to us today? 
But friends, there are, I think we would all admit, there are so many ideas about who Jesus is in this culture today. And this is important because what you and I believe about Jesus is key for our salvation. What we believe about Jesus and who he is is key to salvation. So this is important, even for us here some 2,000 years later. So we're just going to kind of break this text. I just want to give it some organization for us, just in the two ways today. We're going to talk about the problem, like what's the problem? And then the perseverance. How, how do the people in this uh, context, and how do you and I persevere in the midst of so many other voices saying, this is what you're to believe, you're wrong in what you believe. How do we, how do we remain true? How do we persevere? How do we continue on? How do they persevere? What does John say here? How does he equip them to persevere? So we need to understand the problem, and then we'll understand, we're going to talk about what does it look like to persevere, and then we'll have some takeaways as we wrap up. But let's talk first about the problem. Like, what is the problem? What is the disagreement about Jesus that these people that John is writing to have? What's happening? Let me just again read verse 18 and 19. It says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. It's interesting to me that John writes to them as a, as a father. He says, dear children, over and over, we've already seen this, but you'll see it as we continue on through this letter. He continues to refer to them as children. He looks at them as his children, not biological children, they're spiritual children, and he's, he's caring for them. It's, it's like when you as a parent, we've probably all had this, we've had this experience with our kids. Our kids are maybe away at, at a friend's house or a family, another family member's house for a night, or they're with someone else, and, and something maybe scary happens, and, or, or they're a little they're anxious about being away from mom and dad, and there's that call to mom or dad and there's that voice that just offers reassurance to them like everything's going to be okay there's that concern as a parent and John is concerned for these people as a spiritual father to them he can't physically be there he can't jump on a plane he can't jump in his car but he can write a letter and send and express his concern and love and encouragement to them. And it's interesting, he describes these days, he says, this is the last hour. This is the last hour. And what he's, what he's basically saying, he, along with many other uh, uh, Bible writers, uh, books of the Bible, the authors, what they would describe is when Jesus Christ came the first time, the time after that, we are living literally in the last days. Like, we're not waiting for the last days. Friends, since Jesus came, we are living in them. And it's almost like this, not an arrow going towards them, it's almost this parallel running right alongside of it. Friends, we are living in the last days. Now, when is the end going to come? I'm not going to predict, nor, should I think, nor do I think we should predict but what John says, and again, writing 2,000 years earlier, is you're living, and even calls it not just the last days, but it's almost like the last hour. It's like 11 o'clock before midnight. We're close. And a sign 
if you will, of the last hour or the last days is what he says next in verse 18. This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist to the one other uh, books of the Bible refer to as the Antichrist coming, the end times there is coming. And now he says, even now, many Antichrists have come. It's, it's not the Antichrist, but it's these, these false prophets have risen up in the spirit or the attitude of the Antichrist. And John would say, this is a sign that we are living in the last days. And numerous uh, other authors in the Bible refer to when we're in the last days, false prophets are going to rise up and what they're going to do is diminish Christ. Who he is and his role. And that's what these people are doing. And John says, this is how we know it is the last hour. Again, because of these, these many antichrists, not the, but the many uh, antichrists that have risen up. He said, and again, what John does now is, is this is the first time in his letter, we know people have left, but now in his letter, he's telling us why. Why? Like, what, what did they leave? And he says, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. They left us. Uh, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going, their leaving, that the going showed that none of them belonged to us. So John, what he's saying is the people that have left this fellowship, he's calling them the Antichrist. Now, let me just say this. This is not prescriptive in that this is not saying anyone who leaves Hope Church or anyone who leaves any local church, like you have the freedom to now label them. You are the Antichrist. Like you've left us. John says people have left. No. There's a reason why John, because of what they believe about Christ, uh, if you were to ask John, debate John, maybe, were they ever in or were they out? Like were they ever really saved? Maybe. I think John, again, this is my thought here. I think what John is saying is they were never really a part of us. They, there was this appearance of spirituality. But when you really got to the, below the surface, they were never really with us. I think that's what John would say. And again, he's describing them as the Antichrist. So what is the big, like what, what are they dividing over? And then we'll jump down, we'll go back to these verses, but let's jump down to verse 22. Again, understanding the problem. He says, who is the liar? Talking about these people that have left, those he calls the Antichrists. It came in the spirit of the Antichrist, diminishing Christ. Who is the liar? And here's the issue. It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one, the Messiah. And John goes on to say, such a man, such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges, there's the opposite there, the, it says whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Friends, this is the key. And this is not going to be the only time or last time John is going to address this issue. And it's very interesting when you think of John's, the gospel of John, uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
John is probably addressing the same issues. What the issue is, is these people do not believe that God literally took on flesh and walked on the earth. They believe there's no way the spiritual could inhabit the material, the physical. There's no way that could have happened. God would never become like us. And they deny, and John will talk about this in the other texts in 1 John, they deny that, that Jesus, the Son of God, literally became a man and walked on this earth. That's what they deny. Now, there's some variation of that. Some uh, might have believed that there was this guy named Jesus and there was the Christ, the anointed one, and that for a little bit of season, somehow the, the spiritual, the Christ, was able to come down upon Jesus, this man on earth. But then when he went to the cross, that Christ lifted off of him and went back to heaven because there's no way God could die on a cross. And these people that have left this fellowship deny that the Son of God took on flesh. And that's why John would say they're denying the Son and who he is. And it's interesting, when you read John's gospel account, so much of that gospel account is elevating who Jesus is. John 1, 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's why at the very beginning of John's gospel account, he lays that out. Because there are people who are saying that's not true. And that's what John is writing. So you might say, what is the big deal? Why is this important? For God to become man. Why does it really matter? In the great scheme of things, why would John label these people? I mean, it's a pretty extreme label to say, you, are, you have come in the spirit of the Antichrist. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal for a lot of reasons. Just two. First, revelation. Through the incarnation, the Son of God becoming man, taking on flesh, walking among us, he understands the human experience. Isn't it comforting when someone understands what you are going through? They don't have to pretend, imagine. They get it. Jesus gets it because he became a man, a human. He gets the human experience. Let me try to illustrate this in, in, a, in a maybe a silly way. It is silly. Um, you know, I've maybe talked about this before here at Hope. Growing up uh, north of Boston, and, and uh, something that is just ingrained in us from the moment we start driving, uh, learn to drive, and are driving as a teenager and then as an adult is wherever you have, wherever you're going for the day, especially as you're moving, driving closer into the city. And if you've ever been in a large city, this is the reality: is parking. Like, where are you going to park? Is it free? Is there a parking deck? Are there meters? Is there, like, you just always have to think about those things. What time of day is it? Can I get in there or not get in there? So then I marry Lori, and she grows up, grows up in rural Canal Fulton, 
where you never really have to think about those things at all. So now we're married, and so I, we move here to Ohio in 2001, and, and still this is ingrained in me, and we're living in Lodi. If you've ever been to Lodi, I mean, it is like rural, like, I mean, farms, and like, so we start going places, and a question I start asking is like, well, what's the parking like? And she's like, what? What, what are you talking about? Like, parking? What do you mean? And she laughs. And even to this day, like, she still laughs. Um, you know, God's helping me with it. It's setting me free from that. But still, it's just ingrained. We go to Cleveland. It's like, okay, where can we park? Is that a deck? Is there a, uh, you know, park in meters? You know, what all that type of stuff. So when I get around people who are from that area or large city, and like, we talk about it, like, they get it. They're like, yeah, that's what we talk about too. And I'm just like, it's so comforting to have someone else that gets that. that you don't have to explain it, you know? And, and, and I know it's a silly illustration, but I think for all of us, in the big things of life and the temptations and the despair and the loneliness, and, and here's something we don't think about much. I thought about it this morning. You know, in Christ's experience, he was single. Some of you here today, you wonder, you feel like maybe the church doesn't understand. What is it like to be single today? So much is focused on family and kids and marriage and it's good, but, but what is it like to be single today? Christ gets that. He understands that. There's a sense of revelation. And then, and then also with revelation comes this, when we, it, it, when we look at Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, if we ever wonder, what is God like? We just have to look at him. But if he wasn't God in the flesh, it's just another man walking on the earth. We have no idea what God is like. We can learn some things from, revel, uh, from nature and all those types of things. But, but, but to understand that God's heart and his character, we can look at Jesus. So revelation is big. He reveals the character and heart of God. And then salvation is huge. Friends, this is huge. If he's not God in the flesh, when he hung on the cross, it was just another man. It was just another man hanging on a cross, sacrificing his life, but his sacrifice would not satisfy the wrath of God. Pastor Jim talked about that just a few weeks ago. Jeff read some of those verses for us just a moment ago in John 2, 1 John 2. His sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God. And if he's not God in the flesh, he's just another man dying on the cross. But friends, he's not just another man. He was the son of God, fully man, fully God, who died on the cross. And now salvation is possible because of his sacrifice. That's why this is such a big deal. And that's why John is willing to say, these people that have left, he calls them the Antichrist because they're diminishing who Christ is. He's willing to say that. 
So, so, the, so what do these people do, though? Again, these people haven't moved to another city or state. They haven't moved away. They're still probably working together and bartering together and helping each other. But, so they're interacting with each other on a regular basis, but they're not part of the fellowship anymore. And these people are, are saying things. Here's what you should believe. Here's what we believe. We have this greater knowledge than you do. How can you believe that the Son of God actually became a man? That's childish thinking is what they would be saying. We've attained this higher knowledge. So what does it look like to live in the midst of that, in that culture, in those relationships? And that's where we would be today. And there's so many different thoughts and ideas out there in our world, in our culture, in your family, in our neighborhoods, in your workplace about who Jesus is. So what does it look like for us? Let's talk about perseverance. To remain faithful in the midst of so many opposing views. And I think that's what John does here. He, what he does is he elevates and helps. He highlights two, two important things. The spirit of God and the scriptures. Spirit and truth. Both elevated. Not one over the other or one more important than the other. But both and. And, and it's what he says in verse 20. Of chapter 2, it says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you, in the same sentence, know the truth. So we have, the whole, we have this anointing and truth. In verse 21, it says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. So he says, you have this anointing. What, what it literally means, it's, it's the Greek word charisma, or it literally means to rub on. And, and in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, priests and kings would be literally anointed, or pour, oil would be poured on them as a sign, as it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon them for their role. And he uses this language, you, he says, you, as followers of Christ, you have this anointing, you have this gift of the Holy Spirit that has been rubbed on you or poured out on you, all of you. Because some of these people that have left are saying, we have more knowledge than you do. But what John is saying, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's so important to remember. They're saying, you don't have enough knowledge. But he's saying, you have the Holy Spirit in you and on you. And he also in the same sentence says, you, have, you know all truth. And he says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. He's saying, I've, I've, we've talked about these things before. Remember what I've shared with you. Some even believe at this point, the first draft of John's gospel is in circulation. At this point in history. So some even think they've had a chance to read the first draft of John's gospel. So he's saying, you literally have read the things that I've told you about Jesus. You know the truth. Remember that. But at the same time, remember, you have the Spirit of God. And he goes on to explain the importance of both the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. In verse 24, he says, See that what you have heard from the beginning, he talked about that in chapter 1, that you've heard these things before, you've heard them from the beginning. He's, he's maybe even referencing the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. You've had that, you've read those, you have my gospel account, you've heard me teach. You've heard these things. 
See what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. And that's key because right now these people are wondering and those who have left are saying, you're not, you're not saved. You're not, you've not been given eternal life. But what John is saying, remember what I told you. Remember what I taught you. Remain in those things. And as you remain in those things, you, will, you are literally remaining in the Son. And it's the same language. If you read, again, it would be interesting for you to even read John, the Gospel of John, and these letters of John, these first these, the three letters, because there's so much similar language. In John 15, he says, Remain in me. Abide in me. Abide in God. Abide in the, pres- the Spirit of God. He's saying the same thing. As you remain in the truth, you are remaining in the Son and in the Father. And you have eternal life. And then he goes on to verse 26. He says, I am writing these things to you about those. And again, here's the the reality. Those who are trying to lead you astray. They haven't given up. Maybe daily. They're talking about these things. And they're in that those relationships. And he's, he's writing to you about these people that are trying to lead you astray. And he goes on in verse 27. He brings up the anointing of the Holy Spirit again. As for you, the anointing you received, it's a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. The Holy Spirit is a gift for all people, men, women, children. Children, there's not a junior Holy Spirit. There's not a, the adults get the adult version of the Holy Spirit and the children, middle school, high school students get the high school, middle school version of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And he says, you receive this. You have this gift. You receive from him, remains in you. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's there. And, you, and this is interesting. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Because these people are saying, we have the knowledge that you need. And we are the ones to teach you. And John is saying, you don't need anyone. You don't need these people to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit and you have the truth. Now, is John saying, is he like just kind of discarding teaching, like what we're doing even right now, like this public preaching or teaching? Like, you don't need anyone to teach you. No, I don't think John is saying get rid of the gift or the importance of teaching in this context or in a Sunday school or a small group or whatever the format or environment might be. What, What he's saying is realize as an individual, you don't need someone else. Because you have the Spirit of God and you have the truth. And they will guide you into truth. You don't need anyone to teach you is what he says. But as his anointing, the Spirit, and John calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth, the one who will guide you, remind you of what he said. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, Again, these people are doubting. Is this real what we've experienced in Christ? Is the Spirit really in us? And he's saying it is. Because these people are saying it's counterfeit. He's saying it's not counterfeit. Just as it is taught you, remain in him. Some of us might want other things for John to elevate. Like, how do we respond? Like, John, what can I say to these people? But John brings them back to the gifts they already have. The scripture, truth, and the Spirit of God. Not one or the other, but both and. 
to stand in the midst of such outside pressure to compromise. John elevates the scripture and the spirit. Sometimes in churches, one is elevated over the other. Sometimes in churches, it's all about the word of God and the spirit of God is not even talked about. And sometimes in churches, it's all about the Holy Spirit and the scriptures are like secondary. Friends, here at Hope, we believe in both and. It's about the scriptures and it's about the spirit of God. We need both. We need both. Both are needed. And both guide us forward in the midst of this culture that we're living in. And understand the gift that you have as, the, as a follower of Jesus with the spirit in you and the scriptures in your hand. Understand the gifts that you have. So let me just give us three quick takeaways and then we'll wrap up. First is this. Some of you here today, as we talked about the son of God becoming man and taking on flesh and dying on the cross and, and, and how this group that left that fellowship there and in and, and, and 1 John that he's writing to, like they, believe, they don't believe that Jesus took on flesh. They don't believe the Son of God became a literal man that walked on this earth. And some of you might be here today and you're saying, I believe, like, I think that's true. Like the Son of God, there's no way God could become man. And I just want to let you know, like, I'm glad you're here. I really am. And what I would encourage you is to explore. Is this true or not? Obviously, you've heard my thoughts about it. it is, I believe Jesus literally was the Son of God walking on sort of fully God, fully man at the very same time. So I would encourage you, if you don't believe that, to explore it. Is it true what I'm saying? Maybe someone invited you today. A family member, friend, neighbor, coworker. I would encourage you to talk to them about it. Maybe you came alone. You saw some of the pastors on the platform today. Seek us out. Write us an email. We'd love to talk with you about these things because, like we said, like I said earlier, this is huge ramifications. And remember, as we look, I think it's important because we see God in the flesh. We know and get to understand the heart and character of God. And it was the Son of God who died on the cross and satisfied the wrath of God. Therefore, we can experience eternal life. The life of God now in us. For so, some of you here today, some of you would have been like those some living some 2,000 years ago that stayed, that, that are true followers of Christ. You believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. What I would encourage you is to press into life in the scriptures and in the spirit. Sometimes, again, what, what John says there is you don't need anyone to teach you, but this anointing teaches you. Sometimes in church culture, we can become so dependent in our growth and learning on one, coming to one place for an hour a week and hearing someone teach, and that's it. Friends, that's not God's design. It's not just coming to hear one person or a group of people teach. That This is meaningful, this is important, but this can't be it for you. And what we would encourage you to realize the gift you have is the spirit of God is in you. And you have the scriptures to learn, to grow, and to be taught by both of them. To press into that. And then just one last thought. I don't have a slide for this, but I thought of this this morning. And we'll wrap up with this. Like I said at the beginning, John 
wrote to them, this, this group of people, as a spiritual father. He reached out to them when they needed to hear from a wise, mature follower of Jesus. And I think there's a huge need in the church today for spiritual fathers and mothers. And this isn't determined by age, but I think it's just maturity in, fa- in your faith and your walk with God. Sometimes it does, uh, it is dictated by years of experience and journey and um, length of time even following Christ. But we want to just encourage you as if, you know, if you're following Christ and to, to be able to look at those who are maybe new to faith or newer or have been following Christ as long as you have. And, and John was willing as a spiritual father to say, you need some encouragement and I'm going to speak into your life. And, and maybe it, you might say, how does that even start? Well, there's people sitting around you that maybe you know or don't know. And it maybe starts with a, you don't just rush to, I'm going to be your spiritual father. That's kind of crazy, you know? Like, it just maybe starts with a conversation and another conversation. In another conversation. And then you realize there's a connection. And you just start spending time together. So that when the bottom falls out, like it did for those who John writes to, you as a spiritual father or mother can speak into their life and offer these words, just like John did, of encouragement and help to them. So maybe that's something God's already even been speaking to some of you. And maybe he's saying, just take the step. I don't know what the step might be, but to take that step and be like John is to these people. So let me pray for us and ask God to help us be those who persevere in the midst of our culture today. Lord, I want to thank you for these moments. Thank you for this text. And um, again, written so many years ago, but in many ways could have been written today. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us Lord, for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, to persevere, to understand again today and anew today the, the gifts of the scriptures, the word of God and your Holy Spirit, to press into those more and read and listen to the Spirit and commune with the Spirit more. And Lord, maybe forgive us in ways that we've elevated one over the other or said this is more important than this, but both are needed. I'm thankful for John and even in the same sentences talking about the Holy Spirit and truth. We need both. And God, for some here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that don't believe you actually became a man, Lord, I pray they really explore those things. Ask questions. And for some, Lord, maybe you're prompting to be kind of that spiritual father or mother to someone who's not as far along in their journey, their faith journey, and Give us courage to take those steps if they're appropriate. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Bring the application that we need today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.